0: Hey, everybody, welcome to the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast. I'm Andy Stanley, and today I will be your host because today I have my good friend Frank Blake in the studio with me, which means I get to ask questions for a change. So, Frank, thank you so much for joining us today. I am thrilled to be here. Well, I'm thrilled that you're here, and our podcast audience is even going to be more thrilled after they hear what you have to say. As some of you know, Frank recently stepped down as the chairman and CEO of The Home Depot. Prior to that, um, Frank served as the executive vice president at The Home Depot over business development and corporate um, operations. Frank previously served, and this is amazing, this is why we're so honored to have you here today, you're part of it. He previously served as the Deputy Secretary for the U.S. Department of Energy, um, General Counsel for the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, uh, Deputy, get this, Deputy Counsel to Vice President George H.W. Bush. He worked with Jack Welch at uh, General Electric. Uh, They continue to maintain their friendship, and uh, uh, Frank's got lots of Jack Welch Quotes. Maybe he'll share one with us. Um, he's got his undergrad from Harvard, so he's way more educated than anybody in the studio today. His law degree from Columbia Law School. It goes on and on and on. Serves on the board of board of directors for Delta Airlines, Procter and Gamble, Grady Hospital. For those of you who live here in the Atlanta area, and also one of our favorites, the Georgia aquarium. Um, His wife, Liz, worked as general counsel for Habitat for Humanity um, International until recently, and they are quite the power couple. And Frank and I actually met through a mutual friend over lunch a few years ago. We've stayed in contact ever since. And in a minute, (laughs) if I'll quit talking, I'm going to let Frank talk a bit about the culture at Home Depot that he walked into, the trends that he inherited when he took the job Um, But first, I want to just give our listeners, if it's okay, Frank, just a little bit of context. We have lots of business owners, entrepreneurs, pastors, people who work in larger organizations. But just to give some scale and some scope for um, the environment that you stepped into at Home Depot, Home Depot is an $83 billion business, $83 billion, over 2,200 stores. And then this is what is most staggering to me, 350,000 associates, Think about that, 350,000 associates, which means um, for you football fans, if you rented the AT&T Stadium, or we used to call it Cowboy Stadium in Dallas, it seats about 85,000 people. (laughs) You would need four um, AT&T stadiums for all the people who are associated with or who work work with Home Depot. So um, it's quite – an amazing organization. It's much bigger than most of us can imagine. And yet you stepped into that, the role as a president and CEO. So just to get us started, Frank, tell us just a bit about how you became CEO. Um, that was a surprise to you as you'll share with us in just a minute and a little bit about the situation that you walked into.
1: Great. Uh, and again, I'm I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, I view this as a bit of a testimonial uh, for reasons I'm going to set out in, in a second. Uh, when I got this job, and it's a testimonial to Andy and the leadership podcast and what Andy teaches about leadership. And let me, uh, let me set the scene. In 2007, when the board of directors at Home Depot called and asked me to be the CEO, at that time, I had never had experience as a line leader of an organization. I had had staff positions through my career. Andy gave a little bit of the background to that. I'm a lawyer by training. I had had staff positions, moved into business, but they're all staff jobs. In addition to that, I didn't have very deep retail experience. I've been at Home Depot for four years, having worked at GE. And the transition at Home Depot was not a slow transition. It was the board calling, saying, you're the CEO, and literally the next day stepping into the job. So you didn't see this coming at all? Did not see this coming at all. It was nothing. You know, you drive along at night thinking about things. I never thought about being the CEO of Home Depot or, frankly, the CEO of any company. (laughs) And while I So let's just start at the bottom and work your way up, right? (laughs) Exactly. And so while I had worked with some great leaders, and Andy referenced some of them, uh, I hadn't given a lot of thought to leadership and what it was, uh, how how to think about leadership, never mind how to lead an organization of 350,000 people. I remember, and it is one of the most vivid memories that I have, is a flying back, and the great thing about being a CEO is you get your own plane, so I'm flying back on the company plane from the board meeting where they made me CEO, and I have to speak to all of our 350,000 associates over Home Depot TV the next day. I'm flying back on the plane, and I'm thinking through, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? And I had the opportunity to watch a DVD. It happened to be a DVD that I had in my briefcase because my wife Liz, whom Andy referenced, uh, goes to Buckhead Church. Went to Buckhead Church before I did. Had a DVD of Andy's presentation at one of the Bill Hybels conferences on making vision stick. And I put the DVD in and watched it on the flight and thought that is the most intelligent straightforward comprehensible uh, inspiring description of what leadership is about and how uh, you cast a vision for an organization and then live that vision and celebrate the vision that just encapsulated leadership and it was truly a, you know, if you think for me, a personal fork in the road in terms of thinking about what I would be doing at Home Depot and how it changed my perspective. Because my perspective, if you had asked me, my perspective would have been what a leader does is make lots of decisions, and the more decisions you make, the more effective you are as a leader. And listening to that description from Andy uh, really changed my entire perspective on the job. And I'll say this because Andy's too modest to say it. Again, I've had the opportunity to work with amazing leaders in business and government and elsewhere. And I believe, and I think my time eight years as CEO of Home Depot showed this, that Andy's leadership concepts are probably the most powerful leadership concepts out there. And I would just... Um, before getting farther into this say the other part of the story is um, I'm very proud of what we accomplished at Home Depot over the eight years in 2007 uh, we had a market capitalization of around fifty billion dollars in eight years we paid back to our shareholders through dividends and share repurchases around fifty billion dollars and the company now has a market capitalization of over hundred and forty billion dollars Wow so these concepts that i think maybe a lot of people listen to them and they think well that's awfully uh, that may be interesting in a church world but how does that translate in the business world i think they are deep uh deep and true leadership concepts and then finally sorry for the long introduction the other part of that flight back was uh thinking about within home depot we had a concept called the inverted pyramid And that the CEO is at the bottom of the pyramid and the customers are at the top of the pyramid. And really for me, the eight years of the CEO as CEO was linking Andy's concepts on leadership with how you think about running an organization where you truly put the customers at the top and the CEO at the bottom. So long-winded introduction, but uh, my comment to Andy has been if you want a blank sheet proof of concept on his leadership principles, I'm here to give that testimonial because I didn't come laden with a lot of other thoughts. This is how I thought about leadership over the last eight years. As uncomfortable and
0: as potentially self-serving as all that may sound, one of the reasons I wanted to have Frank here um, is because I know this stuff works, uh, but to hear it from a, a, a different voice, especially somebody in a very different organization than a local church, certainly means a lot. because these are principles and principles are transferable. So tell us a little bit about those, those opening weeks and months at Home Depot, because things weren't going well. You walked into a very strange culture. You've given me some details. I don't know if you're willing to share those with our podcast audience, but here you are just to paint the picture. To say it again, you have actually never been CEO of anything. You'd never been the point leader for an organization. You'd never started a company on your own. And you get a call. You are now The (laughs) the CEO and the president of the Home Depot at a time when uh, you know housing prices were about to tank, um, mortgage lending was about to tank, which certainly intersects with the Home Depot core business. So,
1: take us from there. Right, Uh, morale issues in the company. Uh, The housing recession was just starting. The country recession was still a year away. But these were uh, tough times in the company. We lost a lot of our key leadership. Uh, so it was building, again, a great, uh, it's a great company with a great foundation. Uh, Bernie Marcus and Arthur Blank and, and Ken Langone, who founded the company, uh, founded a great company, but a little bit we needed to go back to some of our older culture and also reinvigorate it, which was the comment that I made about the inverted pyramid. My very my very first uh, broadcast with our Home Depot associates, my son who worked in the company, works still works in the company. At that time, he was a, a store manager and he said, gee, one of the things I do is I start my store manager's meetings with quotes from Bernie and Arthur's book called Built from Scratch. I thought that sounds like a great idea. As I was <laughs> listening to this same flight, as I was listening to Andy's video, I'm flipping through Built from Scratch. You can see that there's a lot of last-minute preparation here and I come across this idea of the inverted pyramid and that's how I started my discussion with 350,000 associates and the nature of retail is once you put an idea out like that it developed its own legs we started to see inverted pyramids show up in all the break rooms around the company I hadn't given it a lot of thought at the time other than gee, that sounds appropriately humble, and it seems like a, a good concept. Over time, what I came to realize is it's a great expression of a lot of Andy's leadership concepts, and when you put those two things together, you have a challenging uh, and demanding but really uh, compelling model for thinking about leadership
0: so and essentially the inverted pyramid is just another way or or maybe the original way of looking at the whole idea of servant leadership that we think about leadership at the top and information and passion and vision trickles down you turn it upside down and as you've described in our um in our personal or private conversations everything changes when you begin to picture the organization upside down and it's not just it's not as simple as servant leadership now the, um, the burden is on those at the bottom, which are, you know, the CEO and the president and the board of directors the, to then take mission and vision and push it up through the organization. So let's talk a little bit
1: about that because that was very eye-opening to me even as I think about what we do here. I, I, exactly, Andy. You start and you look at the inverted pyramid and you say, well, that's a, that's a good expression of servant leadership as it is. But I also think it, it forces you to think about leadership principles in a way that connects very directly with some of the key principles that you lay out. It forces you to think about who you're serving. The customers are on the top. It forces you to think about how you communicate because you've got a lot of people in Home Depot's instance, you've got 350,000 people between you and your customers. (laughs) And someone early on told me a great, uh, had a great expression for my job. He said, you have a very prominent job, but you don't have a significant job. The only significant jobs in your organization are the jobs that interact with your customers. Wow. You're the person who gets to go out and speak to the analysts and the community and things like that, but the significant jobs in your company are the folks who interact with your customers every day. So how you communicate with those associates eventually to your customers really determines how successful you're going to be in the business and how you listen to those associates and those customers determine how successful you're going to be, Uh, and that's really as they say, forces a thought process that leads you directly, in my mind, leads you directly to some of your leadership principles.
0: So when we uh, talked about this originally, um, and we talked about the inverted pyramid, and you said you felt like there were three dominant challenges when it comes to leading up, or again, I I love the the terminology of the inverted pyramid really more than servant leadership, because when, when we first talked about this and I actually pictured the inverted pyramid, I realized that when you're at the bottom, the burden, and the weight of the organization is actually on you. When you think of the traditional pyramid, the burden and the weight of the organization just visually sits on customers, which is completely incorrect. So you turn this thing upside down, you find yourself at the bottom, and as as you've shared with me, you said there is no, gravity doesn't help when you're at the bottom. Gravity only, the perception of gravity helps when you're at the top, but when you're on the bottom, the weight of, of the organization sits on the leader, as opposed to being able to somehow leverage gravity. So, in our podcast today, we're gonna. This is going to be a, a two part podcast. Today, uh, we're going to talk. You, you said there are basically the three challenges of the inverted pyramid: are how to communicate, how to get things done, and how to listen. So, for the next few minutes, let's talk specifically about how do you communicate to an organization. Um, When you're thinking in terms of leading from the bottom up or influencing up as opposed to allowing, you know, supposedly allowing um, information to trickle down, which we know ultimately doesn't really work. So let's just talk about the challenge of, of communicating. And remember, and to our podcast audience, remember, here's Frank, first leadership opportunity, first time to be a CEO, an organization that is scattered really all over the world to some extent and now you're going to begin the process of trying to influence this whole organization through communication.
1: What does that look like right and And just as you said andy i I, I do think it's a myth uh, for leaders to think that they set a statement and then it kind of cascades down through the organization. Uh, it doesn't work that way. That message gets lost. Uh, so rapidly. When the meeting's over, usually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and maybe even during yeah, the meeting. Yeah, true, depending on... And, and this is where, as I, as I said, the inverted pyramid ties directly to Andy's leadership principles because the notion of where you need to start is you need to be communicating a vision that's simple and portable and repeatable. Why is that? Why do you need a simple, portable, and repeatable vision? The reason you need that is if you're at the bottom of the pyramid communicating up, you need all the layers within the rest of the organization to tell your story forward. They need to be taking that story. They need to be understanding it. So you can't make it too complex because that understanding has to survive multiple retellings. It needs to be retold because it needs to move up through the organization and it needs to be one that can be repeated over and over again. And in the process, that communication starts to change. It's no longer just the communication from some distant CEO that everybody say, well, that's fascinating that Frank says that, but... It becomes what they're communicating, and they own that communication, and it empowers them as they tell your story forward. And within your context, it's so much more complex than what most of us face
0: because within an organization as large as the Home Depot, you not only have multiple sites, cities, states, countries, you have multiple languages um, different cultures. So the challenge, I remember when we first met, listening to you talk about this, I thought, that's just impossible. Is that is that even possible? And yet, somehow, Frank, you were able to pull this off. So y- you mentioned the, the idea of story. Um, how did the Home Depot story, and I want us to get back to mission and vision in just a second. But the Home Depot story, I mean, you weren't, you weren't a founder. You weren't there in the beginning. You were in the company, what, four or five years yep. before they tapped you on yep. the shoulder and said, tag, you're it. You know, go get them, Frank. We'll stand back and watch you, you know, succeed or, or fail. How how did the Home Depot story become personal for you? And the reason I think this is important, as point leaders who are constantly bringing new people into the organization, we don't want them to simply do jobs. We want them to feel responsibility. We want the story of our organization to become their story. How did this become so personal for you that you were able to then in turn help make this personal for new people and people
1: that have been there a long time? A a couple of ways, first, as I mentioned, my son worked for the company, so I was able to see the story of Home Depot through his eyes. As a store manager. As a store manager. It's a compelling, the Home Depot story itself, I won't go on too much about this, but it's a compelling story. Uh, Bernie and Arthur, uh, Bernie Marcus and Arthur Blank were actually fired from their prior job. Bernie was in his 50s when he was fired. Uh, they had worked. It, it was a hardware store called Handy Name. I've actually told that story on our podcast yes. in the past. Yeah. So yes. and so, from being fired, they went and set up the Home Depot here in Atlanta, and uh, is very much a entrepreneurially driven success story, and a lot of the of the culture of the company, the core com- company culture involves around revolves around empowering the store managers to make uh, his or her decisions within the store. Uh, Bernie and Arthur had a great expression. They said to the store manager, pretend it's your name on the front of the store, not Home Depot, and that's how you need to treat your, your store. Uh, And I spent a lot of time, between spending time with my son and the other associates in the company, you realize the power of giving people an opportunity to succeed within a business like Home Depot. Every single one of our division presidents at Home Depot started as an hourly associate in the store. Wow. Uh, So you've got an enormous opportunity to succeed if you're willing to work hard. And, uh, in fact, Bernie Marcus's phrase was the, the number one thing to understand about Home Depot in addition to the customer service is that we take care of our associates and we exist to make our su- associates successful. So you were able to basically go back and
0: leverage some of the history. Exactly. Personalize it. Yep. Put your own terminology around it. But so yep. you kept – sort not, not sort of – you kept the uh, foundational – concepts, and then, I guess, brought them up to date, personalized them, embraced them, and then you went. And I think that that's an opportunity every single business leader has, whether it's within a division or department, a franchise, uh, you don't have to be the founder for it to become your story. And I think that's a a big, a big part of the takeaway from this. And again, and I didn't ask you this privately, so I don't know if this will make it to the podcast, but (laughs) (laughs) was it difficult for you to walk in and find yourself leading men and women who had been there not only longer than you, but began as hourly folks when in fact you can't you stepped in, in middle management. Here's a group of people that had paid to some extent a higher price to get to where they were. Was that a challenge
1: or absolutely absolutely and I put um, I put a high premium myself on working in the stores. So uh, actually spending time as working. As a CEO. As a CEO, <laughs> not very effectively helping customers. <laughs> in fact, as I as I moved towards retirement, uh, <laughs> one time I was working in a store here in Atlanta and the cashier came up to me in the break room and she said, uh, Frank, I just got to tell you this. One of my customers came up to me as, as he was checking out and said, does Home Depot have a new program with AARP? <laughs> it's that old ball guy loading cars out in the lot. Uh, but, yes, it, it, it put a um, – I felt an a, a additional need. I think it's a good idea generally, but I felt an additional need to work in the stores now, and understand that from the
0: And that, that brings me to something I was going to mention later, but I'll mention it now. When we first met, um, we were having lunch at Home Depot headquarters here in Atlanta, and I said to you, I don't remember exactly how I phrased the question, but I was trying to picture what, what do you even do? I mean, I'm thinking the CEO and president of Home Depot must sit in an office and just look at spreadsheets all day long. What does what you know Frank Blake do on Tuesday afternoon? And when I asked you that question, you said, I walk the floors of the stores and I put on an orange apron because that customer, the relationship with the customer is everything. And I've never forgotten that. I've shared that so many times that there, every organization has critical events you quickly identified the critical event for Home Depot happened right there at the checkout or on the floors of a of a store. So for you to again skip multiple layers, put on an orange apron, and walk the floors of a Home Depot store, I think that has contributed a great deal not only to your success but obviously. It would be much easier for the Home Depot story to become your story, and I think that's a fantastic illustration of the inverted pyramid. You figured out a way to actually physically move from the very bottom, which is the top traditionally, to the top, which is the bottom traditionally, to interact with customers to the point where they complained about your customer service.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. And and when we get to the point of talking about listening, uh, that is one of the important elements of listening, is you've got to think of different ways to listen when you realize you're at the bottom of the pyramid. Bernie Marcus made a great comment to me when when uh, I got the job as CEO. He said, you are going to find that you just became a whole lot funnier because everybody's going to laugh at your jokes. And he said, let me tell you, you're not funny. <laughs> and there's a deep truth to that you're in not the se- in the sense that as a leader, People tend not to want to tell you tough things to hear, uh, and you have to, you have to push yourself to get to the position where you're hearing those tough things, and with people who are willing to tell you them, and our customers are great at giving feedback as are our, our frontline associates. Yeah, we're going
0: to talk a lot about yeah. that next month when we talk about listening. That's a great great prelude. So getting back to the uh, mission, vision piece, uh, you know, the mission, the vision has to be portable, memorable. So where did Home Depot, where did you land with uh, Home Depot as it relates to mission and vision? What was that portable takeaway?
1: So our vision uh, was set to be the best customer service retailer in the world. That was our vision. Say it one more time, to be the best customer service retailer in the world. And. The most powerful thing uh, and if there if there's just one part of that initial uh, DVD listening to Andy talk about leadership that uh, took up a lot of my time at Home Depot uh, but I believe was one of the most important things we did was you set the vision but then you have to live to the vision and then you have to celebrate the vision and those three things are actually mutually self-reinforcing as you live the vision you're more comfortable talking about it as you celebrate the vision you understand it better and we spent an enormous i spent personally a lot of time at home depot celebrating people who did great things on customer service every weekend i would spend an afternoon just writing handwritten notes to our associates for great things that they had done all over the country, country, Canada, Mexico. We did videos every week that would take the best example of customer service and broadcast that video to all of our associates. We had special customer service awards. There is a very common saying in business that you get what you measure by believe that, you get what you measure. I think the brilliance of Andy's discussion of leadership is, I would amend it by saying, you also get what you celebrate. And for me, that was not a natural learning. I, you know, as Andy said, I'm I'm a lawyer by training. That means, you know, I live in shades of gray, I, <laughs> I don't tend to celebrate and get excited. It didn't come naturally to me. And the celebration is the most important thing you do because when you think about one of your jobs is how do you get people who are working in your organization to understand what you want? The most powerful way to do that is to celebrate them. When you catch them doing when it. When you catch them doing it. Right. And that is so powerful because it's not a it's, – it's, it, it feels to the person like I understand it. I understand this. I did this and I'm getting recognized for it. I'm getting celebrated for it. And they don't have to be big celebrations. I mean, these were, as I said, for the most part, handwritten notes, videos. We did do monetary celebrations as well. But the celebratory atmosphere around your vision and making sure you're living your vision so that you're not doing things that are discordant with your vision. Again, when you think about leading an organization from the bottom of the pyramid, that is the best way to get the associates at the top of the pyramid to understand because they internalize it and then they celebrate it. In fact, we had a program within Home Depot where the associates could celebrate themselves for great customer service. Um, How did did that information get to you? Because
0: obviously you put a lot of time and thought, know, it's one thing for me, I can walk the halls of a local church and catch people doing things, pat them on the back, write a note. Somehow information is filtering from all over the country, Canada, Mexico, to your office so that you know enough to be able to write a letter that you know, it's not, hey, good job. You right. knew, ex- you had yeah, Exactly what it was. How did that
1: information get to you? And I think it's a great uh, question and another powerful thing about what you start to do when you start thinking about celebration. So we actually had, by week, all of the districts, the regions, and our divisions, so that's kind of how we're organized, they would roll up examples of great customer service. At the start... This was part of their job description. This was part of what they did. At the start, you know... To be honest, it didn't, everybody, eh, what are we doing? <laughs> we I don't know. This. This. Who's got time for yeah. this? This seems awfully random and silly. And then, just as one would predict from your principles, it started developing a momentum of its own. People wanted to be on the list of what got rolled up as the greatest thing in the district, the greatest example. And I mean, we have just amazing associates in, in the company. And because they were stories about customer service, people want to do great things for customers. People want to feel empowered to do great things for customers. So it actually reinforced what, uh, you know, a strong company culture should be in any case. But it it took time for it to fully, uh, you know, Get itself rooted, but once it was rooted, it was completely self. It became part of culture. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: There's so much to unpack in all of this, but here's something that ran through my mind that perhaps a lot of our podcast listeners are thinking: you took time away from something else you were already doing. I mean, there's not just there's not big empty spaces in the day where we sit around going, "Huh, <laughs> wonder, <laughs> what what am I going right. to do today?" So you took time away from something else to write. Handwritten notes. You're having to read these stories so that again they're personal, they're specific. So on average, and I know it's just an average, how many approximately? How many handwritten notes would you do, say, in a week? Around a hundred. A hundred. So, uh, and again, if I was just writing the same note over and over and over a hundred times, I can't imagine doing that. But again, processing the specifics of the story—that's that's unbelievable. And, and the other reason I think this is so important is. You know, when when you laid out as the vision for Home Depot to be the best customer service retailer in the world, and you're looking at this enormous flywheel asking the question, how do I even begin pushing this? How do I again, how do I not push this down through the organization, but push this up through the organization? I can't think of a better way of taking your energy, your time and your influence and, and again, sort of fast tracking it all the way to the front lines of the stores than writing these notes. That's just amazing and i would imagine your direct reports as they you know your assistant is saying sorry we can't interrupt frank he's he's writing <laughs> he's writing notes to to employees and again these notes begin to show up on the front lines and in the stores i imagine that influenced them as well? I mean, did other people start doing this?
1: No, ex- exactly, Andy, and I loved your use of the word flywheel because that's exactly what happened. I uh, started to see division presidents writing notes, regional vice presidents, district managers, store managers, uh, as others see the power of that recognition. Yeah, and so this this really, again, earlier we talked about, you know, with with
0: inverted pyramid, things don't we'd have to think in terms of pushing things up rather than things trickling down but this was something you were able to actually push up through the entire organization exactly and and
1: i'll admit to it the start wondering so i I've, I've bought into your concepts in theory and then there were periods of time where i wondered, all right is this really worth the time and so i'm writing all these handwritten notes i oh, okay is I, maybe i'm not is this worth the time and the switch point for me was i was walking a store and an associate came up to me and this was early on and said i received a note from you would you mind rewriting it to me and i said okay sure and they said well and i said why and they said well I, I saw the note, and it looked like a handwritten note, but everybody said it couldn't possibly be handwritten. Oh it gosh. was auto-penned, and so I put it under water, and sure enough, the ink bled, and I need a new note. And so I thought, they didn't believe it right, was coming and from And I me. thought, okay, that's it. Uh, that's a sign of... it's it's That celebration, because I'd say the other corollary to the leadership principle on the celebration is... Uh, as a leader when you celebrate something you're investing a part of yourself in that celebration and the people who work for you see that and they go gee you're actually investing your time in doing this it must be important and if you, and you know in my in my case it was handwritten notes there are lots of different ways of doing it but having your team, no matter what the size of your team, having your team understand that you're actually investing in celebrating the vision, that the vision isn't some dry thing that you come up in a conference room and you whiteboard it and people work the language, but you're actually invested in it, you're invested in it as a way you behave as a leader and what you celebrate as a leader. I think the, one of the biggest learnings for me from that broadcast of yours. So first you had to lead people past corporate skepticism,
0: there's no way he wrote this. I mean, that just tells you a lot about our culture in general. So, so somebody actually says, honey, look, I put it under water and the ink came off. So somebody actually wrote this. And now people are beginning to believe these notes are actually from the
1: CEO of this company. And the next thing you know, people are- I, I see the notes framed by their desk. And, and it's, uh, we all and and I do the same thing. When I was working at GE, when I got handwritten notes from Jack Welch, I'd frame those suckers. Yep. I we uh, we respond to recognition. We understand recognition. And uh, again, I it wasn't something that came naturally to me, but I do believe that one of the most important things a leader does. Now, when I talk, I I go look at. The first question to a leader is, what do you celebrate? What is it that you're out celebrating? And how does your organization celebrate? And that's just such an, it reveals so many interesting things about organizations. And a lot of times, again, this is in the business world, what you'll find is what you're out celebrating is the person who cut costs or the person who, you know, did this or that that's more uh, directly bottom line oriented. And this goes to another, Andy, concept of, you know, don't confuse your intention and direction. Mm. So you might be intending to do something great, but look at what your actual direction is. And I think one of the great signposts on direction is what do you celebrate?
0: Wow. Well, this has been fantastic. For those of you listening, the, um, the DVD that Frank is referring to is no longer available But since I have three kids in college, I took that talk and actually created a little bitty book called Making Vision Stick that is available on Amazon And um, it's been out for several years. But if all of our podcast listeners would buy one today, it would put that book on the New York Times bestsellers list in a day. And I don't think a book that old has never hit the New York Times bestsellers list. And and I've never had a book on that list. So There's um, a good objective. We'll celebrate when that happens. Yeah, we'll celebrate (laughs) when that happens. It's called Making Vision Stick, and it's essentially all these principles in a book that you could read in less than an hour. Okay, so we've talked about um, communicating, uh, the communication challenges with the inverted pyramid. Next month when we come back, we're going to talk specifically about how to get things done, which of course we're all interested in. And then as we alluded to earlier, how to listen. So for our podcast audience, you are not going to want to miss next month's podcast. Thank you so much for um, being a part of this today, Frank. Looking forward to next month. In the meantime, if you are interested in more leadership content, you can visit us at andystanley.com.